0: Our topic this episode is things. Osa, what's that about?
1: Well, Rev, it's about a memory I have of being on a plane, four years old, coming to America from Nigeria, and sitting up all of a sudden remembering that I forgot something. And I turned over, I looked to my mother, I said, Mommy, where's my Winnie the Pooh? She said, oh, oh my goodness, I I, I guess we must have left it behind. Uh, But don't worry, we'll get you a new one. And I was like, well, I don't want a new one. I want that one. She said, no, honey, it'll be fine. I'll get you a new one. We'll buy a new one when we get to where we're going. And you won't notice the difference. I guess when she told me that at the time, it, it worked for me. you know. And after all, it was just a silly teddy bear, a thing. But I realized later that that wasn't good enough for me. That thing was actually important to me. Hearing that story, Osa, raises a question for me. Why is it that we care so much about things? That's a good question. And from this episode moving forward, we're going to speak to two different people about these questions. Now, today we have a multi-dimensional performing artist that's inspired by the things that dead people leave behind. Our other guest is a Native American graffiti artist that sends a message of his people to the government on the walls of New Mexico. I'm looking forward to this one, Osa, so let's
0: walk with them in solidarity.
1: Solidarity is more than just a name. It's the radical idea that every story holds a profound spiritual truth about the world we share. On each episode, we invite diverse and creative guests to reflect on the most important questions of our lives. So whether you're listening on your morning commute, your lunch break, or late at night, Whether you're spiritual, religious, or just passionate about living a good life, we're glad to have you with us in solidarity.
0: So our topic this episode is things. And I realize there may be a paradox that sits at the heart of this. On the one hand, things are just things. I mean, it's the stuff that clutters up our desks and our closets and our lives that some of us spend too much money on and only use once or twice. And yet... On the other hand, we live in this consumerist society where we're bombarded with these messages that effectively say you can't really live a happy life, a full life, a meaningful life if you're not buying things, if you're not wearing things, if you're not holding on to or driving things. And so I guess I'm left wondering, Osa, which one is it?
1: Well, I'm not going to answer that all by myself right now, but we did sit down and talk to a guest who wants to help us out. So who is our first guest this episode, Osa? Well, Rev, we got to sit down and talk to Dudley Saunders. Uh, He had a show last week at Bloom Bars in Columbia Heights. And his show is entitled In These Boxes, where he takes the objects of dead people and uses them to display his art. I got to admit, it's not exactly the
0: topic that you hear about every day. And that's what we asked him at the top of our interview How in the world did you get interested and inspired by these objects that dead people leave behind?
2: Well, when I was a young man, I moved from Kentucky to New York City, uh, the East Village in New York. And I immediately began noticing something on the street that I did not understand. And I would turn a corner, and there in the garbage in front of these tenement apartment buildings would suddenly be piled in boxes and garbage cans, the contents of a person's entire life just dumped there. And it would be, I mean, everything. It would be like, you know, diaries, personal letters, uh, photographs, art pieces, clothes, you know, the kind of mundane things even that should be someone's mementos. And they were just piled there. And I would see this over and over again. And then years passed. And in 1991, uh, my two ex-lovers died within three months of each other. And while that was bad, there was something else that was worse, which was I realized that everyone who remembered our lives together was also dead. Uh, This was the epicenter of the plague years. Um, And of course, they'd all died of AIDS. And I suddenly understood why years before, those boxes had been full of lives, and that was because these people had died of AIDS, their families had rejected them, and their friends were all dead. And I immediately kind of wanted to reach back through time and grab those things. Because hidden in those things were stories that nobody knew. The things that I personally had from my ex-lovers, I was the only one who knew the stories inside of them, the meaning. Um, and so it became kind of a, a passion of mine to, to, kind of sort of, to, to tell these ignored, forgotten, exterminated stories, these lives that had been there. Everyone, you know, every living person is kind of a, 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 a kind of a sculpture of God in a way, um, and these pieces of art that these people were had been disappeared. So, in a way, what I want to do and what I try to do is to kind of perform an act of resurrection out of these things.
0: Listening to Dudley's response there reminded me of this memory I have of the garage sale that my family held after my grandfather died. And I remember how uncomfortable it was to watch all of these strangers come into his garage and be haggling on the price of these objects that meant so much to him and meant so much to me, you know, that this hat that he would wear every single day, they thought was only worth 50 cents when, of course, we were selling it for a dollar, dollar and a half or something like this. But, you know, to me personally, it was absolutely priceless and how hard it was to let go of these things that carried those memories.
1: And I get you, Rev. Uh, I understand how you may feel like that. And I also appreciate how, fortunate you were to have that family to help those memories live on and that story to be told. Now, I think Dudley was interested in those who don't have that family and who may not be able to carry that legacy on.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right, Osa. And that was actually the question that I think I asked him. You know, what's personal for him about these objects and in particular objects of these people
2: who otherwise have no one else to carry on those stories? When I was growing up, I grew up in Kentucky, um, and, you know, I, I'm, I just turned 52, so I grew up at a time when you could be nowhere. Now everyone's very hyper-connected, but there was a time that it was a little bit like Chekhov's The Three Sisters, and like, if you want life, you've got to go to Moscow, you know. Or there's a wonderful Milan Kundera book title where it says, Life is Elsewhere. And that was really what it felt. And I, I saw people who felt completely trapped where they were, could not move on. Because even though in where they were were stuck, they could not be themselves as they were. Um, so I knew what it was like to feel like who I was was ignored. Did not, almost because it was unreflected in my local culture, I did not feel like I existed at all. I felt like a ghost walking through my own life. And so, I know what it's like to be marginalized, and then moving to New York eventually and taking that great step. Um, you know, I got to see what it's like to actually have a life and then be attacked for it. So I've been on both sides of that, and I, I kind of I know what it's like to be defeated. I know it's like not to be smart enough to defend myself, not to know how, not to be strong enough. I'm a person who's been broken over and over and over again. So it's easy to look at me now and say, oh, you're strong, you're smart, you survived. Like, no, I didn't. I was broken and broken and broken, but I was able to come back. And I, I think because of that, I, I know how hard it is. I know that there but for the grace of God or you know, whatever God is to you, um, I could be one of the people. I could have had a, a story that stopped in its tracks. I could have a story that stopped before it ever happened. So I don't take any of, I mean, none of the stories I tell are not people I could have been. I am a piece of all of them. I think if we really looked at ourselves, we would see that we are all a piece of all of them.
1: Those are some really powerful words and I wanted to know a little bit more about what he was talking about so I asked Dudley for a few examples.
2: There's an element of this project where I ask people in every city I go to to contribute photographs of objects that they have. um, And and they let me in as much as they can. Sometimes they just post a a photograph and they won't tell me anything. Sometimes they post a photograph and write the story for all to see. And sometimes they just send me an email personally, but they don't... It's too raw for them to make that story public. And I immediately think of this one photograph of this woman holding the handkerchief of her grandfather it's very old and worn and it's completely ordinary and yet I feel the intense love and how much that meant to her almost in the way you see her hands holding it um, I don't really know anything else about that story but I feel it in that photograph in, a, in the way she shared it with me um, in another way personally I have a tape hidden in a box that I even can't open up right now, uh, which was of a, a, a singing performance that one of my ex-lovers did, actually before I ever met him, that he told me about. And so I sit there. I can't I can't listen to it. But I can't throw it away either, which is kind of where most of us sit. You know, we, 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 we can't quite make it be gone. It's this I mean, how do you throw... It's like a... One person told me about like having like a beach ball. I couldn't throw it out because they realized that was their husband's breath in there You know So I don't know this is the best answer I can give you you know, we all have to there's a kind of holiness to these things um, But I think the other side of it is that we also know that eventually We will pass on we the last holders of these stories uh, these the, 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 the public representatives of their humanity. And at that point, when we pass on to the people who don't know the stories, they will just be things again. The only thing that really lasts, in a way, is the love that we take from them and pass through to the people who survive us.
0: You know, so listening to Dudley's response makes me think of a religious relic, which, of course, points to something so much bigger than itself, and people will travel from all over the world to observe these relics firsthand because of the divinity, the sacredness
1: that they've acquired over the years. And that's interesting because it makes me wonder, are these relics or these things really as powerful as we make them out to be, or is there something more at play? Well, and that's the question that we asked Dudley.
2: In a way, it's because we, someone has the compulsion to hold on to them that they they kind of attain a kind of power and it's it cannot it can be in ways not so obvious right now uh, we had a friend not even a terribly close friend who a year ago abruptly died had an aneurysm out of nowhere and died and we you know we, we helped kind of clear out his stuff but there was a film that he'd made about a traumatic event in his childhood that his his siblings didn't want his father's 95 he couldn't take it and we sit here like how can we just throw this away this was a this actually was part of a a really powerful part of his story in his life something he poured a lot of emotion into and I we look at that and we value that and although we were not close with him you know we can't pretend that that is nothing and so in a way we we hold it for this period of time as yeah Because we have to, because it's a human compulsion, because we, I can't move forward without acknowledging that all people matter. It doesn't matter how heroic or how even silly a person may have been. People who might technically have little value at all are still extremely valuable. Um, The people who don't matter, matter most of all.
1: Well, I can see how that applies to people. I'm also interested to know, how does that apply to things? I think sometimes the objects
0: that seem to be most insignificant, that are the least flashy, maybe the things that cost the least, can have the most meaning. It's, you know, that old Swiss Army knife or the belt buckle or the hat or something along those lines. And at the same time, I guess I'm also left wondering, what's the other side of this? I mean, I have people in my family, who I guess are kind of convinced that everything is so meaningful, they tend to hoard or hold on to way too many things. And so I asked Dudley about that. I mean, when do we have to
2: just let go? We have to understand that they're, they are just things. They're only pointers, as you say, to something beyond themselves. And there comes a point when I, when I have things from the dead, where I've had them long enough and I, and I look at them and, and it's time to let them go so that something else can come in. You know, one thing I, I like to say, because the piece is called In These Boxes, you know, a box can be two things. A box can be a place to hide something, it can be a place to bury something, and it can also be a place to display something so that we can see it, essentially honor it, say this is something to look at, and then there's a time to let it go. It's part of, you know, we're in a constant churning process. You know, it's about keeping the dead as part of us in a way that's additive. That's where we really honor them, because once we've, you know, these people have really become a part of us in a deep way, then every action we take with other people expands it. It it spends, you know, the dead, the, the power of the dead in the living.
1: So it seems like it's actually about more than just these things. It's about the memories that they provide us and the connection to something greater. It may be our ancestors. It may be our history. It may be our culture. Sometimes it's even our deities. And so if
0: that's the case, I guess it might be fair to say that these objects have the
1: power to change us and that's what we wanted to know from dudley so we asked him just that how have these things changed him
2: i would say that they have changed me because they have made me more than myself my my conception of god is not personalized or you know put into like a a singular figure my my conception is more that you know god is is consciousness itself and when I was young, I, I I felt really stupid. My awareness and consciousness was very small. But when when I come in, when I expand my consciousness, when I I let myself take risks, um, make mistakes, you know, uh, talk to people and say the wrong thing and be assaulted for it, and I'm able to if I can do, do, uh, answer that with in a kind of loving way, and forgive myself and. I can, I can absorb the consciousness of the people around me. I can learn. Every day I learn and become more aware of other people, uh, of what other experiences are, I grow larger. And if I grow larger, there essentially is more God in me. And the day we stop adding to ourselves is the day we, we limit how much God there can be in us. You know. So, I mean, we look at it in a very practical way. I mean, if you, if you, uh, there's not a time when I don't... like listen to Tanahisi Coates, where my, you know, my racial consciousness does not expand. And not in a way that is, that I find shaming, but like, ah, I understand more, you know, I, I can understand more. I, I know a lot of transgender activists and like, oh, in fact, there are things I've learned about, I'm a very, although I'm gay, I'm, I have a very male identified gender identity, but there are things I understand weirdly enough about the male gender because I'm dealing with people who are dealing with a transgender issue. So it made me aware of it. You know how we kind of, in this culture, we operate as if whiteness is just sort of neutral instead of a culture of its own, (laughs) you know, or heterosexual is just neutral. No, no, that's a thing itself as much as being gay or being black or, or Asian or whatever. And the more aware I am of that, the more I can kind of see how I fit in this constellation of humanity and I go into the stars then as, as God goes into the stars. Let us, let, may I never stop expanding because then I'm limiting the amount of God that I can have in me.
1: As we mentioned earlier, we have another guest and Saba is a graffiti artist and screen printer. Not only does he have some good words to share with us, he also left us with some things or gifts that we want to share with you. So stick around to the end of the show where we'll give you details on how to get in on them.
0: In our interview with Dudley, we looked at things that connect us to our memories of the past. But what do we do If those memories aren't immediately available to us, if we don't have an immediate connection to our history and to our culture and to our ancestors, can things still be of help or in any way useful in that situation as well? Well, that's the question that we brought to Saba. Saba is a Native American graffiti artist whom we were able to connect with in the desert plains of southern New Mexico and even though saba has a very strong indigenous identity today we asked him whether that was always the case
3: well i mean growing up i i felt like i i, I didn't really fit in other than my my skin tone only because we weren't I, w- I wasn't raised entirely traditional and and um you know i wasn't brought up knowing the language so you know so during uh certain ceremony or you know just uh, just gatherings like that where, where the elders gather uh, of course you know they're speaking the the native language so you know so definitely felt a little out of place there and also with uh, with the other peoples you know it's like you don't know your your language so you're you know, you're 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 growing up to be the you know, the white man, you know, or whatever. And then, you know, also really trying to trying to play that role of of, of taking on someone else's culture, like, you know, um uh whether it's religion or just, you know, just just daily life, you know, uh being a a consumer, <laughs> consumerized American or whatnot, you know.
1: Saba told us some really interesting details about his life, uh, particularly about his experience in boarding school and how he wasn't really able to find much connection uh, to the Native American school that he attended at the time. Uh, Now, in his middle school years is when he found graffiti. And as some of you know, graffiti isn't always smiled upon. This landed him in a lot of trouble. Now, while he was in trouble, he had a lot of time to think. And he also had time to find new things to get involved with. One of the things that he found most healthy is hip hop. So I asked him, what did he find so alluring about hip hop and how did he find the connection to his native culture?
3: In hip hop, we, we, we run off of uh, four, four elements, which is graffiti, DJing, um, MCing, and you know, the, the the dancing so so taking that and applying it to you know before there was even a new york city that that did hip-hop we were writing on walls we were beating on drums we were dancing we were singing and celebrating you know the way uh we have always done you know in in a circle like in the cypher like that's um that's really what made the connection to, to me feeling that, um, this was, this was a beautiful thing, you know, it's a, it's, it's a celebration, you know, we get together, we, we go to a powwow, which is like a b-boy battle, you know, it's like, we're dancing for fun, we're dancing to compete amongst these other tribes, you know, and, and, um, you know, so it's like, that's that's what i i pay homage to in my artwork because hip hop brought me to brought me back to myself honestly like you know um just really inspired me to to be proud of who i am and and where i come from it's
1: hard to believe that a can of paint some turntables and a microphone can have such a profound impact on somebody's life and not only that but that these things are foreign
0: things or at least foreign to Saba's culture and to his community, but that through engaging these foreign objects, he's actually able to rediscover his own roots in a much deeper way.
3: You know, I'm proud of where I come from, you know, and and I've learned, you know, a lot of the the histories and her stories. My, My goal up until recently is just to to let it be known that we're out there toward the the young people, because I I I have a, you know a nine year old daughter, so I, I I'm I'm with a lot of kids like that, like in her class and stuff, and it's funny that some of her classmates uh, believe that the indigenous people are totally extinct because we don't run around with feathers and you know and and all that you know traditional regalia and stuff and live in live in the teepees, you know, I'm sure you've heard. Um, then they're nowhere to be found, you know, or we are we're nowhere to be found. But little do we know we live next door, you know? It's like so just just kinda wiping that out. And I, I think a lot of it is through education, you know, in the schools. I mean I would think that this certain people would be extinct if we were you know, locked up in a museum next to the dinosaurs, you know, so. So in a way,
0: then, we're back to a somewhat similar place to where we were with
1: Dudley, that it's about more than just the object itself. I agree, Rev. I think it also matters where we place these things. Putting the wedding photo in your bedroom sends a lot different message from putting it in the bathroom. Well, it's interesting that you mention that, Osa, because, of course, Saba, as a graffiti
0: artist, isn't creating art on paper that could be hung in your bedroom or your bathroom or any other area of your house. He's creating art that's very public, that goes on public walls and is available
1: to everyone. Indeed, Rev, it's true that the art is available and accessible to everybody. However, it's not always accepted by everyone. Now, Saba has an interesting story of how he gained approval from his community. And not only that, he was also celebrated. So we asked him to tell us how this approval was met and what effect it had on him.
3: So in 2010, the Navajo Nation or Diné Nation was in this huge water settlement with the federal government and the state of Arizona. And all these crazy people with all these huge words and huge documents and Plots and schemes about making money and selling water in the desert and this and that. Like, um, so this huge battle comes up with the people, of course, the the Diné people, about the sacredness of water, and not only to to the Diné people, like every living being on this planet. You know, myself and five to six other artists. We're asked to paint this huge mural. So here we start painting this and she's like, you gotta include water, the sacredness, and what we use it for, you know. So we painted a, a man and a woman holding a basket full of water, pouring onto some corn that was growing with the kids on the side playing like like from from the basket, like created this huge wave of water around this water tank and there was kids all playing in it, and you know, it was a beautiful mural. So we went on this whole campaign, across the whole Navajo Nation, and painting every water tower we've seen with water's life everywhere. And uh, we started with like a hundred bucks and we borrowed my buddy's dad's truck and we were gone for a month just painting. And every time we painted, it would rain and every new community that we went to because the the lawyers were having these community meetings to discuss and let people know what was going on at every chapter house and that was like every other day different location you know hundreds of miles away from each other so we were just following this campaign and painting everywhere we went and um and it was, it was amazing, the people that came together, that opened their houses to us, that gave us money because we didn't, you know, we didn't have any, and bought us paint and told us to keep doing it. And, you know, and it ended at, in Window Rock, which is the capital of the Navajo Nation, where, they, where the council chambers are and whatnot. And, and uh, it was amazing, we were untouchable. Like, we painted everything anywhere, any time of the day, like, and nobody stopped us, and you know, gave us any grief or you know. And everybody was in support of it, so that was that was that was an amazing experience, man. Like, I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> you know.
0: I want to thank both of our guests, Dudley and Saba for sharing their stories and their thoughts about the things in their lives that matter the most.
1: So yeah, it was definitely good to hear their stories. And what I appreciate about them is that they make me think about the question again. Why are things so important to us? And why do we put so much value on them? And from hearing their stories, I realized that there's a connection that we make to these things, that we have to these things. In Dudley's case, it was the connection to stories that may have otherwise never been told, a connection to people and, and an appreciation for life and culture and experiences uh, that he was able to gain from those things. In Saba's case, there was that connection through hip hop that enabled him to reconnect with his culture and heritage and even want to pass it on to his daughter, which I feel uh, is a very strong thing that comes from a thing that we may or may not think is important. Uh, it makes me think about the things in my life and the things that maybe I overlook and and maybe not appreciate enough. And I've been inspired to actually look into my own life and look into the things that I hold dear and some of the things that I may even take for granted and kind of reassess what they mean to me. I love that
0: invitation, Osa, to set aside some time to just take a look at all the things in our lives. Because it makes me wonder, what are those hidden stories that I haven't really paid attention to that are sitting in some of the objects on my desk? You know, what are the memories that I'm passing over that stay locked within the objects in my bedroom? What are the possibilities, the discoveries that await me in some of the objects that I find as I'm walking down the street? or when I'm on the metro, or when I'm hanging out with, with my friends. It seems to me that coming into this interview, I'll admit I was pretty convinced that, you know, things are just static objects, that we're always kind of being pressured to, to buy and to hoard, and that effectively we control and we use for our purposes and to fulfill our agenda but I'm coming away realizing that at least for some of the things in our lives, they have a lot more power and sway over us than we might ordinarily think. That in a way, some objects actually invite us into a new world. They invite us to connect with people we otherwise wouldn't connect with, with memories we otherwise might overlook, with influences and cultures and heritages and ancestors and people we otherwise just might not encounter. And if that's true, then it's fair to say the things in our lives matter.
1: All right, everybody, thanks for listening. And as a token of our appreciation, we've got some giveaways for you guys. Now, when we met up with Saba, he, he made for us an original screen printed poster and t-shirt these are one of a kind originals that you won't get anywhere else but from listening to this podcast now in order for you to get it there's a catch all right what we need you to do is we need you to go on facebook share a status with us and let us know what you think the theme for our next episode should be and when you do that first of all make it visible so we can all see it and we also need you to hashtag it with solidarity if we decide to use your theme then you will win either the poster and, or the t-shirt, depending on how good the themes are. So we really want you guys to like dig deep, give us some good stuff to work with and let us know what you think. Solidarity is created by The Sanctuaries, a new type of spiritual community for a new generation. If you live in Washington DC, or if you're traveling to the nation's capital, come join us and meet some of the people behind the voices you hear. You can find all of our upcoming events on our website, thesanctuaries.org.